Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. AI computer writing songs. Taylor's first re-recorded record. And Patreon valued at $4 billion. You're listening to The The Biz Biz Tape. Welcome to episode 30 of The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin McKay. Colin, what's up? What, what? I don't know why that was my <laughs> Isn't that funny? But I just did that. I just used like really old terms. It's groovy, baby. You know, we like, need, we definitely need to invest in a soundboard, I feel like, to just like, or a sampling pad to have those like very radio hits oh, right man. when we're ready to go. You know? Oh, I'm sure. Like the little John horns in the back. You I'm know, sure our fans would love that. The, insane. It would be a big, It's not going to be mixed either. I'm just going to put everything in the yeah, top just volume. Peak. Yeah, <laughs> every time. Um, if you want to see our top volume content, you can follow us on our <laughs> socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the biz tape and email the biz tape podcast at gmail.com. Now you can use whatever innuendo you want with that, but I have no idea what top volume content is, but follow us. <laughs> it's way easier now. <laughs> yeah. So turn to 11, turn to 11. Hey, you know who's been uh, turning to 11 recently? Uh, t- Taylor Swift. T Swift. Yeah. Swift. Swifties out there, this is for you. Now, uh, she's actually doing a lot of very important things that I feel like are uh, a lot of people. I feel like if you listen to the show, I talk about her a lot. It's because she's in a very unique circumstance that most artists don't get to do. And I don't agree with some things she does. I don't agree with some things that's happened to her. But the one thing I will tell her, tell everyone, is that her and her team are smart and have handled this extremely well. Yep. So 
Taylor's version of Fearless, a re-recording of her 2008 album, was released on Friday, April 9th. Now, at the time of this show's recording, I have to say that the MRC-affected charts or sound scan, if you use the old term, have not been released within the bounds of this re-recording. So we haven't seen that, but we've seen a lot of strong uh, kind of indicators for how Taylor's album's doing. And this is going to be interesting because I think it's important because this is kind of the make it or break it or moment where it's like, will the fans actually go yeah. into this? You yeah. Know from what, I mean? what I've seen a lot of really good press. Yeah. Too. So I can tell you a little about that. So the re-recording is number one in the U S Apple music chart today, making Swift the first female country musician, which it's been a long time since I've seen Swift female country musician. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a thrown back to uh, top the streaming services ranking. It was the first country album in general to also peak on the same chart in the UK. This afternoon, Swift dominated Apple's music's country song charts, claiming the top 10 spots after beating out Morgan Wallen's Wasted on You, which yes. thank you. Yeah. Get out of there. <laughs> Ugh, you know, like, just do a side Okay. Apple Music also, quote, made Swift the face of its today's country playlist. The platform promotes her collaboration. That's when with Keith Urban in the number one spot. And then at, for Spotify, we got Mr. Perfectly Fine ranks at number 33 on USA's top 50 chart, with that song being at number 14 also on Spotify, while featuring songs uh, from the album across multiple popular playlists, such as New Music Friday, Today's Top Hits, and Pop Rising. Uh, they seem to be the heaviest in terms of streaming platforms that are promoting her and having her on playlists and stuff. Uh, it's not as heavy everywhere else. Uh, Amazon Music... Uh, it doesn't even have a Prime's music list of popular songs. It doesn't have any of her album or any songs on there on it or have her on a playlist where she's literally the face of it. Yeah. Um, despite all this, You All Over Me ranked at number one for Acoustic Chill. Ooh. Which I th- yeah. Which Ooh. I was, apparently is a very used playlist. I'm going to get some coffee, listen to it, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, as we talked about a couple months ago now, the first single from her album, uh, Love Story, Taylor's version, was really some Valentine's of this year. So I thought it'd be fun. Let's update how that's been going because it's the first one that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the most spins on top 40 radio stations, it got, it was getting the most spins on, like, I'm sorry, it was garnering different word isn't that fun it was garnering a uh, top 40 radio station play with 1259 year to date compared with 512 of the original version wow which again i think this is going to be important important to talk about in a second about that cross collateralization that's happening because yeah. if this song goes up the other song kind of goes up simultaneously the original song was played the most on adult contemporary with 3,741 spins for the original versus 339 for the new version. Hmm. And Country Stations, 2,403 for the original compared to the 817 for the update. And peaked in spins in January, a month before Swift's version was released. On Spotify, the 2021 version has logged nearly 59 million streams. When you search Love Story, Taylor's version shows up first. But its trail metrics for the 2008 version are so different and so little because the original version has 431 million plays. Yeah, so it's going to be hard to to beat that. Right. And clearly, there's still bases of consumers that are listening to the old one. Yeah. Um, Fearless Taylor Swift version marks the first of the albums from this process that she was talking about. 
Although, the, while this dreams, one of her songs got synced for an upcoming animated movie uh, called Spirit Untamed, which <laughs> suggests that the 1989 Taylor's version and others are on the horizon. Man, this is a throwback if I've ever seen one. <laughs> we got we got old Taylor Swift re-released and a spirit movie coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Oh, man. But, like, okay, so let's talk uh, shop with this. Because from the beginning, it's kind of been up in the air when she said, I'm going to re-record this, how this was going to do. Yeah. It's clearly not bombing, so (laughs) good for her. You know what I mean? I'm glad. I didn't think it was going to bomb. But at the same time, I think you're seeing, especially in that, like, numbers data I read out, the difference of demographics effect on both recordings yeah so i think in the older markets adult contemporary and people who consider taylor swift a country fan yes like they're spinning the old ones right now who is prioritizing adult contemporary though i i've never met a person that's like i listen to adult contemporary Right. And that's the only station I listen to. Well, it's just more of, uh, I think there's a lot of playlists that it, also adult contemporary. I'm very old and it's just like Taylor Swift is adult contemporary now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very strange. I'm just like, I was used to like it, which is funny because there's a joke with that where I'm getting to the point and you may in your regular life, if you ever listen to like an oldie station, I'm getting to the point where they're phasing out music that mm-hmm. used to be. So like, I remember when I was a kid, like the oldie station used to be 60s. And then like when I got into high school, it became 70s. And now the oldie station is like late 70s and 80s. Yeah. So I guess now because if you were with Taylor Swift or like around her age or 10 years older, you're 30s or 40s. So you're adult contemporary now. Um, but no, I really do think there's a... I think this is showing evidence of my theory here is I think that if you considered Swift more of like, I'm a country fan who likes Taylor Swift or I'm an adult contemporary listener, like I just want to listen to like what it was back in the day. The, that's the old version all the way. Yeah. But it seems that her new fans and just the general like newer public are embracing the newer recordings, um, which is good for her because it's such a uh, interesting scenario to be in to re-record all your re-recordings and have so much like pressure on it. I mean, people have done it before, but nobody's like if like for instance james taylor was like i'm gonna re-record all my old hits mm-hmm. people would be like i guess if you're a real james taylor fan you would be like yes but most of the general public would be like okay you know yeah. so but like taylor's in this position where it's like whoa this is awesome like and it has hype around it which is a very unique scenario to be in but i'd also like to say that you know people who are supporting her like from the beginning and are like, I want to support a record because I'm a T-Swift fan. That's definitely a thing. But I think a lot of people are underestimating newer generations that are getting experience to this music that they wouldn't. Like people who are, you know, teenagers or younger who Who didn't grow up with, they weren't, or they grew up with Taylor Swift, but they were very young. Yeah. Maybe they were too young or maybe they weren't even alive. You know what I mean? Like that's that's weird to think about 2008. (laughs) You could have, you know, a 13 year old right now who's never, my age is showing right now. (laughs) Right. But you could have somebody who's like, Oh, well I actually like this. And that's the power of these playlists that she's on is that she might be getting like these people that have never, heard this and i it, in my opinion i listened to the whole record it's really funny as a person who like is not a t swifty but i like appreciate her is uh it's just so funny listening to it now because you see how much she's grown yeah uh how much country music 
she was. You know, she wasn't a pop. She was a country. Like, if you notice on all this stuff, and if you go on the Billboard charts for the original stuff, it's all, this is country music. Country, 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 country. Which is really funny from coming from someone who's mixed on 2nd Avenue and Broadway here, listening to these younger generation of country singers who literally just copy everything from that period. Yeah. It sounds the exact... Like, I literally was listening to this, and I was like, this sounds like something they'd be played at a bar on Broadway right now yeah and people will be like this is my new single which is nuts to me yeah i mean she inspired so much in country music and people forget that because of how of a huge pop star she has become right since she then. she has grown out of that and it's like in a different level from most um country stars because there's other country stars that have but they always go back like shania twain's a great example she had pop songs, like she would release the pop version of a Shania Twain song, mm-hmm. but she's still now remembered as country queen. Dolly Parton, same thing. She had a lot of crossover, did all this stuff. Country queen, you know what I mean? But Taylor has done extremely well at getting out of country and going to a more uh, pop and honestly a larger audience. And I think a lot of that had to do with the 1989, right? I mean, that record was ni- so yeah. left a field from everything she put out before that. Right. It's so funny because if you listen to this new re-recording, you hear like mandolins and banjos and all this stuff. And I was like, this is stuff. <laughs> There's some steel guitar there. in there. Yeah, uh, there is. <laughs> so like, that's what I'm saying is it's just like, such a different turn, but I'm interested from the business side to see how well this record does. Clearly it's not doing bad. Yeah. I don't, but at the same time, I don't know because she said many statements that we've talked about on the show before that she is making an active effort to stop the success of her old recordings with these new recordings. I hope that for her, it doesn't bother her so much that by doing this or she's accepted the fact that, when you're re-recording an old song like this and it has so much press, there's going to be some people who trinkle down into the old songs. Yeah. Who are like, oh yeah, I forgot about Which, that song. I do think that they are taking that into consideration when releasing this. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, you know, we see the old songs, the numbers it has as its completed cycle at this point, basically, right? So this is starting something new. And although it is technically the same song, there are some differences to it. It depends on people's preferences. Exactly. And then uh, like timing of it and momentum of it as well, because I mean, we will just have to see, because usually records um, have like 90 days is the standard that they say. To see the health of it. Yeah. A record life cycle is 90 days. Um, So we'll see within those 90 days if Taylor, uh, like her numbers for the song uh, beat out the other one. I think it's going to be hard to do streaming wise because of how many years the other song yeah, has been Yeah, if we up. look at total number, yeah. I think that would be very difficult. But um, if we're talking about, if we're even comparing to, to the release of this compared to the release of that in in its day, that's going to be interesting, right? I think that, I think it's also, you have to remember how unique of a situation this is. Yeah. Like I'm saying, like my, you know, James Taylor kind of, uh, which I just realized I used two Taylors for that, but whatever. <laughs> uh, James Taylor kind of thing is like, you know, you know, and there's so many older artists do this all the time. We're like, we're going to re-record this song. We're going to do it. Yeah, and but nobody gives a crap. But, and, but it's not a relevant artist, you know. Like, right. and I'm I'm not saying they're not relevant, but they're when they're doing that, they're at the end of their kind of career, career kind yeah. of stuff. So this is a big deal because it's like this person has is still in the throes of their career, right? And at the top 
of the charts half the time. Like, She's probably, yeah, it would just be, it'd be so strange. It would be like Florida Georgia line coming out and be like, we're re-recording cruise, you know, like, yeah. it'd be like what the hell? Well, and that's like, another thing, Colin, do you think this is going to be a trend for uh, artists who have bad deals? So here's my thing. I think, and that, I, I put hyphens behind bad deals, right? Who know. have deals that they probably see as unfair and stuff like that. I think that I honestly, I think this is a very unique case. I think people might try to do it. And maybe if you're the second person, you'll be another little jump up, but you're not going to be as big as the mountain Taylor Swift is with this. Yeah. So I think personally, I don't think it's going to be like a big, big trend. Um, I think that she's in a very unique position and she's handling this fantastic. She's literally like, listen to my version. This is the way you support me. And that's how, you know, a lot of, this is Taylor, like it's Taylor's version. This is the version she wants you to hear that, you know, Shamrock Holdings and Scooter Braun and all that took away my old music. I'm claiming it back. She and her team have done a fantastic job with this PR. And like, that's the thing with this that I think is very unique. And I don't think is very copyable. Like if you're another artist in terms of, I think people will do it. I don't think it's going to be as big as, you know, Taylor Swift doing it. Yeah. Um, even <laughs> it's kind of like NFTs where, you know, one person in major success and then more and more people are saying, oh, I'm not getting as much right. money out of this. Yeah, that's how I feel about this. Um, I just, I'm very interested, especially when these charts come out, which maybe I'll tweet about it on our Twitter, is like, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the placements are and like how high it is. Because I knew from the beginning, like, this is going to chart. Like I doubt, like I knew from the beginning, I was like, this is probably going to be at least a top 20, top 10. Record. Oh yeah. Easy. Right. And I was like, but is it going to be like quadruple diamond or is it going to be, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I mean. Or a quadruple platinum. You know what I mean? It's just like one of those things where I want to see how big the jump is and, um, see how this kind of turns out for her. Cause she, I think it's amazing this path she set out for her because like now she, she has the ability and seems to be very excited about redoing her old material and she's got five more albums. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's not like, Oh, we just re-recorded this one. It's a lightning in the bottle scenario. It's like, no, we have a bunch of fans who are very excited about re-recording this old material who grew up. That's the other thing I forgot to mention. There's a bunch of, you know, obviously I said people who never met it. People have been Swifties forever. You gotta think about the people who were Swifties and left. And then came back like uh, my uh, my partner is a good example. Uh, her and her friends like Taylor Swift, but kind of fell out of it. But then they were all listening, you know, to this music again because yeah. it was like part of their, you know, childhood. And they wanted to, you know, re get it. And I think that's the same vibe as the adult contemporary people, by the way. But I think that there's people who are kind of in between that adult contemporary like uh, demographic and just completely new people who are like, I still want to support Taylor though. And I really like these songs. Remember these songs. So like, that's the other demographic she's hitting here is like people who are like, Oh yeah, well, I, I used, when I was like 12, I used to bop to Taylor Swift's fearless. I really want to listen to it and support her now. Mm -hmm. And they're not ravenous fans. They're not like the people on Twitter that are always like everything you do, Taylor, I <laughs> love, I've followed it from the beginning and that's the Swifties, power man. The power of Swifties. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that's the one thing I literally think her and her team are part of the smartest, one of the smartest groups of people in the entertainment industry from taking something 
that could have been for a regular artist extremely crappy yeah. is to have another entity own your records, have nothing with it, have to suck up to these people to make sure that you're not doing anything crazy with her records. She literally like has conquered this so well. So I think she should be highlighted for that. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting well, what's going to go on with that. Um, and I'd like to point out the situation itself, um, which we covered in previous episodes as well, is, is the fallout of all that that stuff, which was very messy. Um, and it's probably sides. something that we're going to continue to talk about in episodes in the future because it is such uncharted territory. It's completely uncharted. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to uh, songwriters. <laughs> the and this thing is completely uncharted. Well, I've talked to songwriters uh, about it too, and, and they're everyone's watching this because they're like, you know, this could actually impact the music industry uh, for just how people get record deals. I mean, it obviously depends on how much clout you have, but you know, all of them basically are like, yeah, man, like I, I'm probably never going to own my masters. Like that's just something that they plan for a lot of the time, which is something that a lot of people don't understand in the general public is, is how that's done and how there's separation between the right. performance it's and literally the, you the don't own record. the music. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's a very, it's, the music industry is more complicated than it should be. And I think, you know, we've managed to monopolize, not monopolize, but uh, monetize a lot of different creative things. But I think it also has caused tons and tons of um, strife and it kind of just implodes on itself sometimes. That's correct. And if you want to learn more about it, check out every Wednesday that business <laughs> just go into an ad in our podcast. Absolutely. Uh, now- but, um, Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Uh, speaking of new of of songs uh, and kind of I guess old songs, successful uh, songs, yeah, successful old songs. Uh, Paul Simon sells his entire song catalog to Sony Music Publishing. So Sony Sony Music Publishing has announced that it has acquired the complete collection of Paul Simon's recordings from his current solo records back to Simon and Garfunkel. The deal is rumored to be a nine-figure deal. The announcement comes after Bob Dylan sold his entire catalog to Universal Music Publishing, close rival of Sony, as well as after Neil Young's deal with Hypnosis Songs Fund. Paul Simon stated, quote, I'm pleased to have Sony Music Publishing be... Uh, the custodian of my songs for the coming decades. I began my career at Columbia Sony Records, and it feels like a natural extension to be working with the publishing side as well. I, you know, I always wonder with those things. Like, d- did he actually say that, or do you think like he got the just PR say person to? Nice, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, we'll say something nice. I feel like and just kind of go with it. I feel like if you're getting multi millions of dollars, maybe, that, maybe he did write it. Well, you know? I feel like that, but I also feel like that might be a stipulation. It's like we also would like one statement that says like you're cool with this. This isn't a hostile takeover. Yeah. So like for the rest of time, we won't give crap for this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this growing trend in evergreen deals during the pandemic has the publishing world bustling. As the pandemic wages on, we may begin seeing more of these deals taking place as well as possible retirements from these acts, especially from touring. Yeah. So uh, I kind of added that a little bit at the end, uh, as you could probably tell. Um, But the reason I'm saying that is because uh, we have seen this trend and we even said it in a previous episode again, um, like we're probably going to expect more of these deals because these artists are hungry for money are hungry right for now. Money. Uh, there's going to be, especially with the Biden administration, a lot of people are very antsy about these capital gains taxes that may be on the horizon. And this is what that kind of money falls into. So they'd rather sell it now instead of, you know, losing 10 to 13% more. Mm-hmm. And then like you're saying, and it's a valid point is like, you know, if you've been on the tour, you know, like if you're Bob Dylan and you're on the quote unquote never ending tour, um, like this is a good stopping point. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you can't, yeah, we can't do shows. We haven't been able to do it for a year. Let's just sell it off. Now two years. It's going to yeah. be two years coming up. Right. With some and of these so people. it's just like one of those things where it's like, this is a good place to get off the train almost, you know what yeah. I mean? We can get our money and I can live the rest of my life with my family in our little mansion and then like... <laughs> little <be>. mansion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, think I've ever heard that sentence before. A little but, mansion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and also I, I think too um, with, with these deals especially, a lot of the times I don't think they're making these deals for themselves. They're making them for their families and for, you know, their, their kids, yeah, their grandkids. I mean, if you're 80 years like old, it's You're like, not going to be using this money now. Right. I mean, like, even if I went off the deep end, I'm sure, you know, you get your luxury spending, maybe you buy a better house, maybe you get, like, a bunch of cars, you know, all that or kind of stuff. Or four houses. But it's so much cars. money, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so much money that, like, even in your... Even if you were 70 or 80 and, like, hypothetically, you could live to 100, that's still a lot of time to waste that money. And it's, like, more of... I think for a lot of these people, like I'm saying, the capital gains, I think, is a really big deal for it. But uh, I think it's just one of those things where this is a good place to get off the train. Let's move in. I actually have a follow-up question to this, Joe, because I saw this in a uh, 
Rick Beato video. And I mm. was wondering, he was commenting on all these artists selling stuff. And I was wondering if you want to entertain this idea or not. He was making the argument that the reason that a lot of these catalogs like buying agencies, publishing agencies, all that kind of stuff are buying these catalogs is because they do not believe in the strength of catalogs of younger artists. So they'd rather make a safer investment by buying these big catalogs than invest in new artists, for instance. Gotcha. So like if I'm, you know, Sony music in this example, instead of paying instead of million like, dollar upfront deals, you're going to be holding that money and then buying, buying these old a catalogs. catalog that yeah. I can use all the publishing rights for mm-hmm. and selling that off because people know what Paul Simon is very well and Simon and Garfunkel. And that's a better investment than let's say if every artist, like, how much money was this deal? Did it say? It's a no? nine figure. Nine figure. Yeah, it's okay. undisclosed. I think, I think Bob Dylan's was like 400 million. So yeah. let's say like 400 million was the money. I don't think it is because Bob Dylan's catalog is probably evaluated more. But like 400 million dollars. So let's say you could have 400 album, million dollar albums come out versus own this one guy's catalog. That's yeah. kind of what... I think that's what he was kind of yeah. saying. Well, I don't know if there's, I I'm kind of up in the air on that I think, argument. I think there's, there's always going to be that fund and a pretty good chunk of that money is always going to be investing in new artists and new songs uh, because you know, the, the fight for entertainment is to stay relevant at all times. Correct. Like that is the fight, especially in pop music, rap music, country music, you know, just staying relevant is what people want and what these labels want the most. Now, What's great is if you can stay relevant and also have all the songs you grew up with at the same time. Correct. You know, oh, look at like our catalog has all of these artists. And guess what? We're pitching like we're we're really pushing these songs still. And these songs are evergreen songs making money. Look at how much money we're making. So to investors or board members, this is this is I feel like probably a stronger uh stronger investment than if you were any easier to explain and prove with numbers, which a lot of people in the music industry, they want numbers. They want receipts and they want to make sure exactly. They want to make sure their money is coming back to them and coming back in, in huge ways. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. Personally, I think if you just focus on these older catalogs and buying up these older catalogs and you're not focusing on the new people, you're going to go, I, I wouldn't say go extinct, maybe. Maybe you're, you're going to be sinking ship almost. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, you're not going to be relevant, but we're talking about Sony music here too at the same time. It's the thing. You know, one of the big three, they have billions and billions of dollars. They have uh, t- tons of teams, world teams, uh, huge structures, uh, honestly, a lot of these big three companies, it's crazy because they're so big. It's like little countries inside the company. Like right. you have Sony Music Australia and then you have Sony Music India and, and then, then you have Sony have Music all USA. Yeah, exactly. And they're all run in different ways. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's an interesting idea. I, I do think there is still going to be a lot of investment in new acts. Right. Um, I, I, I do think that during this specific time period, it might be to people, secure money in the future. Yes. Readily. Sony is trying right. to get money now and they need money now because we had an advertising slow, like slow and all that kind of stuff. So that, that makes sense. I would, I would entertain that too, that maybe this is a 
strategy that a lot of these, especially with capital gains taxes and stuff that people are employing now rather than later, Mm -hmm. as opposed to an overall change. I also think it depends on, you know, if we're talking about evergreen, uh, that term evergreen also means like, like songs or acts that are going to make money forever. You know, like Jimi Hendrix or that Rolling we think Stones are going to make money that we forever. exactly. It's it's a it's a theory, right? Uh, because everything at some point like goes out of style, correct? Right? Like there's gonna you, like you said, you know, all these radio stations are hitting the '80s now, not what we were at. You know, in the 60s. And a lot of those acts that they would play were considered evergreen acts. Or think of jazz music is a very good example. Mm-hmm. Like of all the band. I mean, like if, it, if I went to my grandparents and I said, what are the best, you know, jazz acts? They'd be like, Benny Goodman. Like all, you know, Bing Crosby, all these people. Which like, people now don't know. They're right. like, who the hell there is may that? There maybe we got like in, encapsulated in the general public. And it's just, it's not a negative thing. I want to stress on this. It's yeah. just time moving forward is, uh, you know, if you ask somebody who was like, what's jazz? It's like Frank Sinatra, um, may like a Herbie Hancock, you know what I mean? Like that's what they're going to do. Um, yeah, I, I'm very uh, good for Paul Simon. I'm sure Wes Anderson is devastated because of this, uh, <laughs> publishing money. Yeah, he's he's going to have, have to pay, to pay out for money. every movie he does that has five uh, Paul Simon solo songs in it. <laughs> me and that's Julio some down deals too. That's some big money. Deals right, right. Me and there. Julio down by the schoolyard eight times in a movie. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Speaking of, uh, another bunch of money. Patreon is now valued at $4 Ooh, a, billion. Dollars. A lot of money happening. Yeah, this is the time. This is and I, I'd like to preface to this is a lot of figures. I think people think the music industry is like they have they're hemorrhaging money, and to a certain extent they are. The top cats, right? Right. Or the entertainment in this situation, the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. But I, they're, they're spending a lot now, and they're spending a lot of their capital. Now. Correct. I'd and also I, like to point I, out. I also have a theory about uh, this right now because uh, also I'll add on that. What looks good to investors? You're not making money. We're investing in the company, right? Yeah, now. exactly. That's the way that you make people not upset. This is an investment year. This is an investment period, you know. Um, so Patreon is now valued at four billion after raising 155 million in the latest funding round. Uh, this was announced late last week, and according to Patreon, it's 200,000 creators across podcast, video, music, visual art, writing, and more are earning over 100 million per month with seven million patrons. Wow. Patreon plans to use the additional funds to accelerate its progress on initiatives, uh, including enhanced creator and fan experience on both desktop and mobile international expansion and new uh, content consumption tools. Patreon has been on a steadily, like steadily upward trend of growth since its, its inception in 2013. But in 2020, in my opinion, it's had exponential growth. In 2020, Patreon adds new languages, currencies, messaging functionality, and merchandise and annual memberships. And the platform announced in May that over 70,000 new creators have launched on the platform since mid-March. Mid-March 2020, why would you launch a Patreon? Uh, Let's put it together. What happened? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) During this time, Patreon has seen a 150% increase in the number of musicians launching. Oh, I wonder why. And a 57% (laughs) increase in the number of video creators launching. Uh, Jack Conti, CEO and co-founder of Patreon, said, When Sam and I started Patreon eight years ago, we were solving a clear problem, collapsing the gap between the impact that creators have in the world and their paychecks at the end of the month. We're starting with content and community capabilities, but over the next decade, we're setting out to build the creator infrastructure that supports a second renaissance. 
Um, it, first off, I just want to say is uh, a lot of people don't realize that Jack Conti, if you go on YouTube a lot and you're on music YouTube, he is the uh, keyboard player, arranger, and producer of like Pomplemousse and Scary Pockets, which you may see all the time where it's like, this song funk and it's like 4 million views. Like that's this guy. If you see the guy behind it with a beanie on, that's Jack Conti. And I always talk to people and they have no idea. That's the guy who wrote, who's the CEO of Patreon. <laughs> Can you imagine him coming up to a gig? He's like, I'm Jack Conti and here's my four keyboards. Uh, and it's like just him and his like, sir, like Subaru Outback or something that like he's right. had for 20 that's, years, that's, that's but a, he's I mean, valued at like $4 billion. And I, I listened to a podcast. I think it was uh, how I made this. It's like an NPR thing. And they talked to them about like how they made Patreon. And he literally was talking about that. The reason why is because there were, he was in this band Pomplamoose and he felt like, you know, I could get 6 million views on a YouTube video and make like a thousand dollars. And he goes, so I wanted to make a thing where people literally directly support me every day or every month or whatever by spending that money. And so I felt like there was a gap in that, which is what he's saying. And I completely agree with that. And especially the way that uh, consumers, especially people in our generation, a little younger, have been navigating towards almost like perfect word patronage, like mm -hmm. almost like how it was in the 1800s where it's like. I am a lord of, you know, I'm the lord of Edinburgh. Here is my, you know, m mass wealth, and I would like to perforate you with millions <laughs> of coin, and so I can get you to write a bunch of symphonies for me and my little parties. Like, literally, that's that's what it feels like, except now it's like, I am Joe Schmo. I have $20 I don't want to spend a month. I like your music. Uh, I want to support you directly. And I feel like that's a bigger sentiment that's been growing a lot in music because literally like I talk to people who buy sometimes vinyl or merchandise. Was it about the things? No, it was about supporting the artist. Yeah. Like literally. And it's like, in addition to supporting the artist, you get this and that's Patreon's model. In addition to supporting the artist, you get, you know, an exclusive little message board, maybe some early access to stuff, whatever they want to decide, which is really cool about Patreon. Um, which in this situation, because touring has, is non-existent at this point. Um, I mean, artists has lost the majority of their income. And so to have something that's similar to that, where people can still buy merch, um, right. or support the music or, or be, you know, have first dibs on stuff. It's really important because a lot of this stuff would have happened on the road. Correct. You know, so it's just having a digital platform for that is important. And I, I think, you know, with this being valued the way it is, it's it's incredible how much it's it's just grown in the the past year. But do you think this is something that will continue to grow? So, in my opinion, yes. And the reason why is because I think of changing consumer attitudes. Yeah, I think there's been a massive creator flux, as you've seen, 150 percent increase. So two and a half times more people, you know, are on there. Uh, again, there's not enough money to go around, but like, I think the idea of this being more of a normal, like everybody has a Patreon, which I mean, still is kind of true. Everybody has a Patreon, um, is like going to be more in like the future, I think is going to be a thing unless the only way I could see that is unless the payment models change for the current, like artists in terms of like, do you think like if Patreon took more of a chunk or something like that, 
like oh, that's it started an issue. trending they have into competitors, that. you know, that will do that. And the chunk is very much the reason why people will go to different places mm-hmm. now, other than user experience, because of your, you know, app for paying it sucks, then I'm not going to use it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, I think for like this, I think it's a consumer trend that's going upward. I think that this is a thing that's going to be part of the future of stuff like this. And the only reason that you don't do a Patreon is you're either one in the eyes of the public too big to have a Patreon. Like it would be weird if like Dua Lipa had a Patreon, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of, or Ariana Grande or two, like I was saying, I, if the music market like changes, if you know, all of a sudden, Spotify and stuff was like, we're going to pay you like we did with the CDs back in the day. Like if somebody streams your whole album, you get $10. Like, Mm -hmm. and the public knew that. And there was a change from like, oh, you can make shit on streaming now. And everyone was like, wow, we make a lot of money on streaming. Then like people would be like, okay, maybe you don't need this $5. You know what I mean? But like, I think that's the reason why Patreon and these kind of like patronage sites even work is because of the sentiment of the public that they know and from artists saying we do not make money on streaming. Look, I made 12 cents or like I got a publishing sync thing and it was like, you know, a hundred dollars. Well, I think too, this is more of like a trade off, right? You get exclusive content, you get, um, there is an exchange of of goods. Having that tier, like kind of structure, I think does a lot too. Cause like, if you're not a huge fan, but you want like a, a shirt, you can get a shirt on patreon right you don't need to be the mega fan status and like i think the thing with it is uh it's funny because to a lot of people we talk about like you want to have engagement on your social media you know what i mean that's the thing it doesn't matter how many numbers you have it's about the engagement that's what patreon is yeah it's it's showing engagement is what it is they have to pay money to be there and then what you're providing for them is more activities to be engaged so that just makes stronger fans. Yep. Like if you had a Patreon, let's say, and you had a Discord and you said like, you know, hey, you guys want to come hang out with me in the Discord for like an hour or two, you know, on once a month, you know, those fans are like forever fans. You know mm. what I mean? If they come in there and you actually talk with them and it's a good experience. That's the thing that's nuts about Patreon is because it's uh, it's like an investment in uh your community that you're getting paid to be investor for. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So like, it's also interesting with these to see what blows up more too. Cause I, think I always, there's a huge, there's a huge like change of like what blows up and what doesn't blow up. Yeah. It's very cause, interesting. Uh, Cause I have noticed like most of the top earners are mostly like YouTubers, personality, pos- yeah. Podcasters, that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, musicians, I don't think have fully utilized the space yet. Which I think is interesting being as it was made for musicians first. Correct. I think I think the reason why is because innately in podcasts and YouTubers and stuff, there's one innate service of being a podcaster in YouTube. For our case, it's providing you with an episode. For a YouTuber, it's providing you with a video. That's it. But when you're a musician, you provide records, you provide performances and stuff like that. So there's like a chance for a regular person to interact with you in a Mm. regular way. But in, if you're a podcaster or a YouTuber, this is it. This is the show. You know what I mean? So like, it's difficult for people, you know, to kind of, I think justify it for musicians because it's like, well, I could buy a concert ticket for this price. Yeah. But like for podcasters and stuff, it's like, 
or for YouTubers, it's like, I actually have the chance to talk to this man or interact with him in a way that's not available anywhere else. Yeah. I also think it's it like the music industry honestly is is much more complicated than other parts of the entertainment industry because it's like you have so many you have you have to ask for so many people's permission, <laughs> even if it's your songs, oh, right? Could you imagine, to like upload, like, bon- like if someone wanted to drop like an a B roll, like uh, not a B roll, like a B sides album, right? Only on Patreon, they would have to clear it with their label. They'd have to go through like management stuff. They'd have to do all like their their every label would have to get a cut. Publishing, get publishing. If you have multiple writers, and all this and kind of I stuff. feel like artists are so you get so drained as an artist preparing for your next release that like you don't want to do that's the funny part that i think is why i think there's small beds of musicians that are making a good amount of money and not like crazy amounts of money is because i think that's the reason why is i think at a point you get big enough that it's like it's not worth because people are so excited they'll go pay 300 dollars to see me in a concert then you know, what the work is available to maintain a $50 patron every month. Also, from a PR standpoint, too, like, do you think it would be weird if, like, you know, Taylor Swift went on there and she's making millions of dollars, but it's like, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a smaller artist who actually no. needs money. Yeah, you she know? wouldn't do that, and neither would any of the other people I list, but, like Dua Lipa or Ariana Grande. And this is going to be a weird left turn. <laughs> All right, but, let's go. I mean, we've seen the trend with OnlyFans of, like, you know, celebrities and people getting oh, on there. OnlyFans is important in this conversation as well yeah so because, it's like because they're top earners on OnlyFans or something uh and like you know they're not doing the rest of the content like the adult content that's mostly what OnlyFans features but it's like you know they're making more money but like people are getting pissed right <laughs> because it's like hey this isn't what this platform's for or what or what have you but if like you know i feel like if i was an artist it would be kind of weird to be like uh I don't know if Taylor Swift should be on Patreon because this seems more like a tipping someone, right? For like a performance. Which or is something. funny because you can tip people on OnlyFans. Um, yeah. So, well, <laughs> so. what I'm saying, I, I think that's a different conversation um, in terms of, I think Patreon to the general public and places is designed to showcase the product that you are putting across as your artistry. So if you're a podcaster, it's a podcast. If you're a YouTuber, it's videos. If you're a musician, you do music. So like that's what I think it's designed to incentivize, and that's the structure of it. OnlyFans, it was originally designed kind of around that, except it was supposed to be kind of like a private Twitter from what I knew. Yeah. But like at the same time, it's just like it's designed to be different from the products that you already provide as opposed to in addition to the products you provide. Does that make sense? Yeah. Especially if it's like sexually oriented. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, so this is this situation more like you're actually having that physical trade-off or I guess digital trade-off. Well, we've like, seen we've seen creators like try to go to OnlyFans and do regular things. It's just that the platform is so known for that. Also, OnlyFans has a has a bittersweet kind of thing where I don't know if obviously not to sell any of y'all out, but if you use OnlyFans, you can only <laughs> use it in a browser. You can't have an people app are sweating a, in their cars right, right now. Somebody's looking at their with their SO, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of this. Is that new, honey? Uh, anyway, uh, no. So like in OnlyFans, uh, you can't use it in the. There's no app store for it, and I always wondered why. And I figured it out with uh, some other people talking about it, like Linus uh, from Linus Tech Tips really hit it. And uh, other people from research I've done hit it. 
The reason it's only on a browser is because, like we talked about way long ago with the Fortnite thing and the 30% cut, they circumvent a 30% cut. Mm. And that's how they pay their creators. And most so of the much. people who use it are fine with using their browser. Correct. Because, well, because people really want that content. So yeah. uh, it's just like one of those things where it's a bittersweet thing, or it's like the experience is worse because it's in browser, you know, and stuff compared to like what a full fledged app would be. But they don't have to give a 30% cut to Apple or Google. And yeah. that allows them to take a regular cut for their business to thrive, but also pay money to creators. Yeah. So witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right don't miss it mark your calendars and be the first to see it march 20th at 7 p.m eastern only on iHeartRadio's youtube channel save the date at new-qx80.com 2025 qx80 coming this summer ready to unlock a world of entertainment philips roku tv has america's favorite tv streaming platform built in so you can watch live tv catch every game discover must-see shows and hit movies and get all the best streaming apps in one place like iheart for all your favorite music radio and podcasts watch what you want when you want immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4k picture and sound for every budget with sizes for every room find your perfect philips roku tv today online or at your local walmart and sam's club welcome to 500 greatest songs a podcast based on rolling stones hugely popular influential and sometimes controversial list i'm britney spanos and i'm rob sheffield we're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great from classics like fleetwood max dreams to the ronettes be my baby and modern day classics like the killer's mr brightside listen to rolling stones 500 greatest songs on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts there's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Yeah, um, I don't know how we got on OnlyFans, but here we are. Yeah, well, Um, speaking of OnlyFans, Colin, uh, AI Software writes a new Nirvana song. It is really the, (laughs) it it is a big fan of that music. Yeah, no. Uh, So a new project called Lost Tapes of the 27 Club featured songs that have been composed and performed by AI machines in the style of musicians who died at 27. Artists such as Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Amy Winehouse, and Nirvana's Kurt Cobain. The project was developed by a company called Over the Bridge in partnership with Google's AI program Magenta, which according to Rolling Stone, quote, 
composes in the style of any given artist by analyzing their works. Mm -hmm. So according to Over the Bridge's mission statement, the project is attempting to, quote, change the conversation about mental health in the music community while providing a compassionate environment for members to thrive. And Board of Directors member Sean O'Connor explains the reasoning behind the project, stating, quote, what if all of these musicians that we love had mental health support? Somehow in the music industry, depression is normalized and romanticized. Their music is seen as authentic suffering. So O'Connor and his team want to denormalize this narrative and help artists seek the help that they need. So how does this AI work? Well, first, it's given MIDI files of the sampled songs, which are then analyzed and mimicked by creating new instrumental renditions. So according to O'Connor, quote, the more MIDI files you input, the better. We took 20 to 30 songs from each of our artists as MIDI files and broke them down to just the hook, solo, vocal melody, or rhythm guitar and put those through one at a time. If you put whole songs through, the program starts getting really confused as to what it's supposed to sound like. But if you just give them a bunch of riffs, it'll put out about five minutes of new AI written riffs, 90% of which was really bad and unlistenable. So if you start listening through and just finding little moments that are interesting, you can then comprise it, basically. So as for the lyrics, O'Connor and his team use a generic AI program called an artificial neural network that would guess the cadence and tone of analyzing previously created song lyrics. So According to O'Connor, it was a lot of trial and error, adding that the team examined pages and pages of lyrics for turns of phrase uh, that syllabically, uh, syllab- <laughs> sorry, fit the vocal like, melodies. Syllabically? Yes, that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> fit the vocal melodies Magenta produced. So basically, they would just take those little chunks of, like, I don't know, common phrases or something Correct. that the artist would say. Tropes they use. Yeah, in tropes the they would use. They would import them. Also, um, th- what they would also do too, to add a little bit more flavor to it, was they would actually get um, artists who kind of. Uh, were known for their covers of these artists and they would actually come in and like record certain phrasing and like, I don't know, like weird sounds, right? Use their expertise. Exactly. Just to give the, the machine more data basically. So after the compositions were made in an, uh, an in-house, uh, studio, AKA sound engineer and producer arranged the parts to invoke the musicians like mood. So in order for the sounds and lyrics to sound authentic, the team enlisted the help of mega fans and cover acts to make sure the recording sounded as accurate and authentic as possible. And what's really interesting is how much work the AI has to do in order to to dissect the musical parts. According to the article, Nirvana was one of the harder acts to approximate due to Cobain's punky chord progressions that would confuse the computer. So basically, he was kind of all over the place. Correct. Yeah, so if if you've listened to Nirvana, like every song is different, basically. Right. So I mean, it kind of. I, I I'll take that back. I feel like a lot of Nirvana songs, it's like Cobain is the is kind of the glue to everything, and yeah. his vocals are. Whereas the instrumentation is way different. Correct, a lot of and the time. he doesn't do like just regular one four five every three seconds. Yeah, so. exactly. So, what's the biggest question in the, in the music industry about this right now? Well, it's 
what it always is, copyright. What, it, what about copyright? Well, it's a bit of a gray area. According to Eric Hogan, who's the front man to Nevermind, the ultimate tribute to Nirvana, Drowned in the Sun, which is the song that it created, is accurate enough to give you that Nirvana vibe, but not so accurate to where someone's going to get a cease and desist letter. If you look at the last quote, quote unquote, Nirvana release, which was, you know, you're right. This has the same type of vibe. Kurt would just sort of write whatever the hell he felt like writing. And if he liked it, then that was the Nirvana song. I can hear certain things in the arrangement of Drowned in the Sun, like, okay, that's kind of like Utero uh, vibe. In utero. Utero, thank you. In utero vibe right here. Or Nevermind vibe right here. I really understood the AI on it. And apparently this guy was like blown away too. Because uh, this guy apparently, like they tore as like, you know, a tribute band, like, you know, like a Beatles tribute band and stuff like that. So they're like, a lot of the time, these acts are like really good yeah, and know exactly what like they, they would authentically sound. That's why like. they get paid for it. Exactly. So if he was blown away out by it, it was pretty good. So uh, we're actually going to play uh, a little clip of um, that song right here. Cool. And we're back. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty insane, Colin, uh, like especially the breakdown of that song. The, the beginning of the song is a little bit like I can tell a computer wrote this, you know? Yeah, it's a little bit weird, well, especially the lyrics are very strange. A lot of the time they're not they're like kind of generic phrases. It's just funny to me because like when I listen to it, I just hear. Like, it doesn't sound like a computer made it. It just sounds like really quantized. Like, somebody made, like, literally, like, because it's made from MIDI, is, uh, it sounds like somebody was like, I'm gonna make a Nirvana song in MIDI, and then, like, made it, like, perfect. So, like, it's like, this note ends here, 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 here. That's what it feels like when I listen to that. Yeah. I don't think it's bad, but it's, de- like, you can tell, it's, like, upper level, like, I'm good at MIDI, but, like, you can still tell it's well. Bad. I will say, too, there's been a lot of talk of, like, AI writing songs or AI editing films and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I have to say, like, this was one of the only AI music, like, songs that I actually put on and forgot a robot made. Right. It actually sounded like, a you know, in, it could be a human as opposed to just, like, you're listening to it and you're like, this is a robot, this is a robot, this is a robot. You know yeah. What I mean? No, yeah. it's it's kind of insane and i know uh, like that this isn't just the robot making this like this thing was mixed it was chopped up it was like you know it was fully produced like it was a fully produced thing but the fact that like the instrumentation itself like was this accurate to like the the actual band is pretty insane it sounds like parts it doesn't sound like it's actually like you know a bunch of like if you go on YouTube and kind of look up this stuff, you could just find like absolute like squabble. Like if you ever find like stuff where people try to make uh like a, their voice or like a vocal, like acting performance into MIDI, 
That's how yeah. a lot of that sounds. Is it just sounds like nonsense? Mm-hmm. Um, but this didn't like, sound like that. Right. It, it was. It like felt a, like a voice. It sounds like to me, like literally, like you know, you're listening to like, like if somebody made a band and was like, "I'm making a garage band version of this song." Like that's kind of what it reminded me of. But and, but it would fool me that it's not a person. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think I think it's it's very interesting, and it kind of shows how far technology has come. Um, I as for kind of the the message behind this project, I think it's an important message. Oh, I um, love the message. I don't know if people are always are, are going to get the message some of the time because it seems like you know it's very flashy. AI makes this, and they actually talk about how you know with anything of like new technology, mm-hmm. people are going to immediately go. They're going to take people's jobs. You know, like right. they're going to take people's jobs. People aren't going to be able to to write songs anymore. And it like let, hold your horses now. <laughs> I'm just going to say this: the lyrics bad. Okay, I mean they weren't terrible, but like they weren't. They didn't feel human. I, th- right? I think I think the public understands that. I think for a lot of people, I think the issue that people will have with this is it's not the artist's vision. Yeah, like, and that's another thing too. But uh, with with the blowback of some of this stuff that we've seen in the past, even, you know, like let's say warehouse uh, robots that come in and take jobs. It actually, uh, it's more of a tool. It's a tool that you can use for the betterment of your job Correct. a lot of the time. So, I just, and, and I think there is a difference between, you know, literally, you know, hard labor being replaced by like a robot and something like this where it's like, this is programmed. Maybe we can even use this for a drum fill of part of the song. Yeah, I just I think for me that I think the like I feel like that argument is out, and I feel like some people would be like go doomsday and think the robot's taking my job. But I think the main thing that people would get upset about with and refuse to listen to it is they're just like this isn't what Kurt you know like what Kurt would want or like how he would actually do a song because it's less and like I feel like even if you got like the perfect algorithm. Like, let's say, you know, like it just, it, it is Nirvana. Like you listen to it and you're like, this just sounds like an actual Nirvana song. And I feel like if you did like an AB with somebody and you didn't tell them it wasn't a Nirvana song, they'd be like, like to a really Nirvana fan, they'd be like, yeah, I really like this in a hypothetical world where it's perfect. They'd be like, this is a good song. They never release it. But then if you tell them they're a robot, they'll be like, now it sucks. Like now they're going to be yeah. like, because it's a robot, it sucks. And I was like, I get what you mean. And I get like in terms of stuff like having that on there, maybe you're just like, well, this isn't them. So it bothers me. But at the same time, it's like if you're just going to do it and say the song's bad because it's a robot, then it's just like now you're just being like a little trivial. with. Yeah, well, and I also like to point out too, uh, like likeness is definitely a huge thing, especially with copyright stuff like like the likeness. Yeah. Everything that we saw, they like none of the artist's images were used. Like they didn't even really name them. They didn't reference the names of the artists at all. Yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like the 27 club isn't, you know, copyright, you know, trademarked by like a big entity. So it's like, you could easily figure who this is. You know what I mean? So like they did it in a very smart way. Um, I think that the main thing with it is going to be just, um, I I think it's going to be like one of those things where I love the message, but I'm really afraid that people are going to discount the message because the robot sucks or something like that. They'll be like, well, 
clearly, you know, like it won't, well, their message I would say would maybe not, will be obscured by people just like talking about the song and being like, the song sucks. This doesn't sound like Jim Morrison or something. And then them being like, that's not the point. The point is like, we could have actual Jim Morrison here. I will say the Jim Morrison one sounded a bit weird. Yeah, that was weird. weird. Um, I also, yeah. And like you're saying, they haven't really gotten into trouble with it. And I actually added this at the end because we were talking about, you know, everything with this and uh the doors rendition like you said has been private on youtube by the channel itself like their version of it yeah but then i went and looked at it today and it was automatically uploaded to youtube via cd baby and it's on there like it's on youtube and they put it into playlists um of like um you know this album yeah the actual channel has so the channel upload has been privated but it still exists on YouTube just via a CB a CD baby upload. And it also exists on Spotify. Correct. So like, it's not, it seems to me that they've done everything the smart way. They were like, do not use any likeness. Do not say this is this person. They don't say it. The publications say this sounds like Kurt Cobain. This sounds like Jim Morrison. And that's the only part that they're going to get got on. Yep. So they've done it in a very good way. Um, I, I hope that like, like I said, I just hope that people aren't just like, going over the message because all they're going to talk about is like this doesn't sound like kurt you know what i mean like something like that that's uh, the only yeah, thing i don't know man it sounded really similar <laughs> yeah but i just like i'm saying i feel like there's going to be an uncanny valley thing with it where they were just always no matter what just going to be like it's a robot it's worse you know what i mean i guess i, I feel like unless because we've seen this unless it's a robotic artist because we've seen like Hatsune yeah. Miku. There's also that TikTok rapper who has like 9 million like stuff on there. I can't remember what his name is. Uh, but like then, then it's not a problem anymore because the robots in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, well, Colin, what have you been listening to this week? Uh, wow. That, what about I just said like that whole album that we just talked about again? I did listen to it. It was okay. Uh, I've been listening to um, just like a lot of, kind of all over the place. Um, I listen to, okay. I don't know if you're, I'm not religious. I'll just put this out. But if you are religious or if you're not, I would still check out this song. Cause I really like it. Um, it's called, it's called awesome God by Fred Hammond. First off, I'm not listening to traditional Christian music, not because the message is bad. I just don't like the, the music of it, but gospel music. Holy crap. That music is so good. It is so, so good because it's got all the great elements of it. So Awesome God by Fred Hammond is like my favorite thing because it is just a vibe, man. Like you're just like, I don't believe in that stuff, but like I literally at the end, I'm like, yeah, Awesome God. Like literally I'm sitting there. (laughs) Uh, But like, no, it's so good. The performers are so good. I found some videos where people like, I'm a bass player and the bass player part on that is like insane. Yeah, (laughs) I mean. It's so fast. It's so hard to play, but it's just literally like, hot licks the entire time yeah he's got like a full choir and stuff i mean a lot of great musicians uh have come out of like gospel churches and correct yeah anderson pack is probably the most recent example it's like half the reason that gospel music is what it is is because the backing band always has to have like such high chops yeah which is the thing that i appreciate about it Absolutely. Um, well, I've been listening to the newest release uh, by Flight, their newest album, This Is Really Going to Hurt, <laughs> um, which is a great album if you're really into kind of like deeper lyrics. Um, it's definitely a songwriter's album. 
Uh, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, I also, I've just been on a Bronco kick with uh, their their older album, Bad Behavior. Um, It came out in 2018. I'm still bumping it ever since it came out. It's it's a great record. Um, And I've been really into uh, 070 Shake a lot, especially uh, that song, Guilty Conscience. Um, I love the music video for I that. I really, sorry. I, I love, I love everything about that song. I literally thought you were going to be like, Dr. Dre Eminem, guilty conscious. And I was like, Joe, really? <laughs> like, uh, and then that put it into my mind for yeah, a second. No, similar, but no. <laughs> oh man. Well, tell your friends, tell your family. Tell them all. Tell them all. Check the out the tape. tape. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Biz Tape. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at The Biz Tape and email thebiztapepodcast at gmail.com, questions, concerns, or if you just want to say hi. Also, we appreciate it if you rate us on whatever platform you listen on. Check out on Deep Dives every month. We got the Grammy one that was recently released last week. If you want to know how the Grammys works all the way through, got to talk to a member of the Academy about that. That was fun. And uh, be on the lookout for this show every week. Uh, We really appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry radio discover more shows and movies for free at-